Well, why don't you introduce yourself briefly? Hi there. My name is Rita Minacci, and I run analyst relations at Pivotal. And I, we've known each other for a long time. You worked at uh, Oracle and before that Sun. And I guess I don't actually know where you worked before that, but you've been doing analyst relations for a long time. Yes, for about 12 years. Mm, 12 years. I do math. Hold on a second. Let me think. Math. More than <laughs> I could be lying. Yeah, I know about 12 years. Started in 2006 or so. It was my first analyst relations. And that was at Sun. What do, what do you think of that? When you think I've been doing this for 12 years, what's what's your sort of, I mean, I mean, obviously, you're not going to say it's terrible. I only do it for the money. <laughs> but but it's like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> like, like what's 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 your reflection on doing analyst relations? Like when you let's say let's say not at the very beginning, but you're like you're like three years into it. Right. And you're sort mm-hmm. of like. You figured out your, as they say, sea legs and how to do it and things are going well. But then what's, what's kind of the take you have on it after, after 12 years? Is it, uh, do you feel like you've got it down or like, is it, is it sort of like life where the older you get that you realize that the less you actually know or, mm-hmm. or what, uh, you know, what's it like to be that experienced in doing analyst yeah. relations? That's a great question. Cause I think about this a lot, right? Cause I think, okay, well, I've been doing this now for 12 years. I get it. I know the basics. Um, it's, so I came from a public relations background, actually. And so when I first started analyst relations, admittedly, I missed the instant gratification, if you will, in PR. Mm. Um, you know, back in the day when I was doing it, you know, there was a lot of reach out to tech, tech uh, publications and stuff, right? Because back then they had, they, there were many more of them. Right. Back and then there were tech publications. There was, and they were uh, actually bigger than pamphlets. <laughs> yeah, you had to pay attention right? to what uh, what was it? Spencer Cat was saying in the back of eWeek. Uh, yep, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, remember back in the day. So, so I missed the instant gratification of like you know you pitch your story, you pitch your product update, you know it gets written up or whatever. And of course, there were longer form stories as well that you would pitch, or longer form things that you would pitch. And you know there is the relations aspect, so you're constantly uh, developing and fostering the relationships with the journalists. But, you know, I'm a relations person. I, I really enjoy the actual relationship building part. And so I quickly realized that you can get a lot deeper, I think, with analyst relations. Again, that's not to say that you can't have long standing and deep relationships with journalists. I have many friends who are in public relations who have very good relationships and long standing and deep relationships with their journalists and stuff. But, um, yeah. So, so, but, you know, it's, it's, you go deeper the analysts go deeper because they're not covering as much and there's more of a long tail, right? You know, and it's not about, you know, what ink did you get or what story did you place or stuff like that, which, you know, again, the instant gratification with PR is you get your hit. That's great. You get to celebrate what's your next hit, right? There is a lot of that. Again, at least back when I was doing it and so much has changed since then, you know, considering all bloggers now and influencers that are not, you know, traditional journalists. So, and their social media. (laughs) So uh, PR is definitely changed a lot um more so than i think analyst relations has yeah and so so i mean to as as you say the uh sort of the cycle time i don't know if that's the right thing but the uh uh, the 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 total amount of time a project or a task takes an analyst world is a lot longer (laughs) and then and then also you have uh i guess i guess it's a it's even it's 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 a benefit to establish long term relationships with with people, which of course is the case in in PR. 
but maybe it's it's that most of the relationships are long term because people tend to stay being an analyst for a while and cover the same things and move around very rarely. So the 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 better the relationships you have, uh, kind of pay off in the end. Although I guess in the analyst world, payoff is a, you should want to use that phrase, but like, uh, <laughs> you, you, you can, you can benefit from the relations a lot more than, you know, in, in the, in the tech world, press people, there are some that are there for a long time, but they do kind of come and go or get promoted here or cover different beats. They're a lot more ephemeral than, than analysts are. Right. Right. And so, and so when you did, uh, so when you did press relations, is that what it's called? Press relations? I very rarely think public. what public relations. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, well, first of all, who else is in the public other than press? Is it all press or are there other people? It, well, so, you know, it's interesting. It starts off as just press, but at some point, you know, you start doing things like at least the agency I worked for would do things like the influencer programs, right? Mm, Which often right, would right, an analyst, right, right. analyst, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, again, since I've left that world, like the blogging situation has gotten super intense, right? There's all these bloggers that you have to care for. And depending on your industry, you know, there's the, the like, for example, if you're working in, you know, consumer tech or whatever, you have to care about the, the people who are blogging about the, the new phones and all that stuff. And so, and of course, there's also social media. So I think it's um, now, you know, I would say it's press, it's bloggers, and it's, influencers, you know, like evangelists from different companies or just people who, um, ha you know, there's also folks that do, you know, columns at publications, for example, right? Like the register has their guest columns and so does Forbes, for example, mm -hmm. you know, so um, there's all sorts of that. I mean, I'm not sure if you get, I know you, 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 you do write a column for Reg, and I wonder if you ever get pitched from a PR person. No, no, not at all. I've, I've written there but, like, um, uh, I've written oh, there. I've written it like two years and, and I don't really ever hear from anyone, which, which is just fine with me. All, all I really want, wow. all I really want is to finally be able to get a, <laughs> uh, a, a pass to South by Southwest on a press badge, but I actually haven't tried to do that, but I, I don't even know if the register sends people. They, I don't know if you've ever tried to like apply for uh, like press credentials or seen that about South by Southwest, but man, they are both, uh, they both know what is happening as far as people trying to hustle press badges and they are uh, one of the most onerous places to apply for. <laughs> like when I was at Redmonk, oh, I would wow. apply for analyst stuff all the time. And it's just like every year it would get harder. And I think the last, this must have been when I was at 451, maybe three or four years ago, I applied for it. And they had a situation where they had identified the editors at the publications they wanted and the editor not only had to like send a letter for you, which is probably not that big of a deal, but they also had like, they gave the editor the slots that they would have to dole out or something. I don't know. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And then, and then they are in no way subtle about the fact that they are expecting you to write about South by Southwest. So they want to see everything you've ever published about them. And they're like, how many articles do you expect to write? So they're just like, wow, they're like straight up anti-hustling. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting like i wonder you know what if you what if you had an ex if you were allowed you were given an expensive account if you will to go to this event and just pay for your ticket and go and yeah. then go back and write about yeah, it i wonder true. how they would impact how that would impact um or how that would play out yeah, anyway yeah. because they can't prevent you from going buying a ticket and going no that's true that's true and they can't prevent you from writing your uh your perspective right if you are a blogger 
Yeah. You wouldn't be able to get into the uh, you wouldn't be able to get the get into the press room though and get like all the free uh, Perrier and like donuts. All the good stuff. stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Perrier and donuts. That's life. That's right. (laughs) Living. (laughs) Well, well, one of the things you mentioned, like I I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but like the uh, and maybe this is like back when I started being an analyst in the mid two thousands, but I think. I think that was the beginning of like, as you were saying, sort of like this concept of the uh, the influencer, the blogger. And I remember seeing, I think it was SAP that sort of started doing that as much as I, I mean, that, that's what I noticed the most. They would actually have a, uh, what did they call it? It, w- it was almost like the influencer thing. And it was like this separate, it was run very much so like an analyst uh, relations thing or a, or a sort of like a press one, but it was a little more on the uh, the deep side, like an AR thing. And uh, they also had the whole analyst track that SAP would do, and they were very separate, which was interesting. Um, anybody, but anyhow, like, is that around like when you started seeing this notion of influencers there? And like, how did how how did that like move out of uh, these are like silly bloggers to like, oh, these are people we should actually spend time and money trying to influence? Right. Yeah, I would say that's around that time. I mean, I. I I remember, you know, when I, in my early days in PR, when we were putting in an R, you know, uh, a proposal and saying, oh, we could do an influencer relations program and we would identify who are the people who are uh, setting trends in your, in your industry. And they could be, you know, professors, for example, or, you know, back then the whole concept of evangelists or advocates and that, that was, that as far as I knew didn't exist, or at least not in a mainstream way that, that um, you could like run a whole campaign around it. Right. So, um, I'd say in the mid to late two thousands, right. Um, around the time when like, you know, where like, I think that's like, for example, like Redmond kind of came out of that, I would say is, is, is a, an example of mm-hmm. an organization that straddles the influencer analyst realm. Um, and they, they've, you know, I think they've done a really great job of, of doing it and having a business around it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and and I think I think a lot of the the, I think the new was, crop of press people are kind of someone in that area. Like, there, there's an interesting amount of like tech press people who are like were or are consultants or practitioners or something like that. There's not a whole lot of them, but they they've they've uh, like like those people at like Diginomica or something, and uh, I don't mean or right something. or Gigaom. Yeah, yeah, or Gigaom. Um, Giga-ohm. That's right. The other one, I don't know. That was that was. Yes, I mean you're you're hitting it. It's kind of gotten weird, <laughs> if you will, you know, in, in that way. I mean, I think when I think back on again in my early days in PR, when we would talk about influencers, I think we were thinking more like again like professors or even like executives at big tech popular mm. companies, right? Who would from time to time write an op-ed or something, you know? Those are the influencers who are setting the the agendas for the tech industry, you know. Um, for whatever you know, the topic's good. Like Elon Musk, for example, might be an influencer. If you can get him to write something about something you care about, you know, or have an opinion on it or whatever. So, but I think it's changed. I mean, and of course it does include analysts as well. It did include or does include analysts as well. So, um, and you know, but you know, industry analysts, like there's a, like the influence that somebody like a Red Monk or 451 has is different from the influence that a, say a Gartner or a Forrester would have. Mm, right. And, and so, um, so that's, that's a, that's a good uh, uh, segue, so to speak into, so what is it? I mean, this is an impossibly broad question, but like, what is it, uh, you know, you, you being, as they say, an AR professional, an analyst relations professional, you work at some company 
uh, and obviously in the tech world at, at a, you know, let's say enterprise software company, just crazy idea there. And uh, like, <laughs> like what is, what is it the AR function is trying to do? Like, what are the, uh, what's the whole, what's the program and what's the point and how do you plan things out? I think, so I would say that it evolves based on the, where the company is at and its evolution. For example, a smaller company that's just starting out into in the enterprise software world or the enterprise sales world needs to raise visibility and, um, and get the analysts to basically bring them into the conversation or shortlist them when their end user clients are looking to make a decision on, on purchasing decision, right? Or a, a vendor choice decision. Um, as you, as you evolve, like, you know, the, so that is like the most basic thing, <laughs> you know, how do we get, how do we, how do we penetrate the enterprise and get on their short lists? Um, but you could also, you know, take it beyond that, you know, as you evolve as a company and you become having more, you know, be wanting to influence, uh, again, trends or the way people consider or look at things. Um, for example, let's say DevOps, right? You, you start kind of, it becomes more of an influencer kind of uh, play um, where you want to have the analysts echo the sentiments that you're trying to get out there, right? So not so much a product, you know, not as much of a brass tacks, like understand, know our product and what the value is. It's the, oh yeah, this company has a vision for the future and this is what it looks like. And we analysts think that is correct, right? If you think of it that way. So it can be, you know, if you, if you want to think about it in magic quadrant <laughs> lingo, you know, there's execution and there's vision and strategy, right? So I think early on, it's got to be about demonstrating execution um, with some vision, right? You know, um, that's always important because then how do you demonstrate you have like a long-term strategy? How are you going to be around and successful in five years, 10 years, 15 years? So it really depends on how, how mature the organization is. I would say entry, you know, when you're getting in there, it's all about raising awareness, visibility, and understanding of your uh, products and value proposition. Uh, and then you can start getting into the, and then once you've kind of established yourself among the analysts, you can start, I think, talking and influencing things by talking about um, longer term things, mm. you know, bigger picture. No, Thought leadershipy, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that makes sense. And what, what springs to my mind is like, um, uh, well, I mean, like you say, there's the, to analogize it back to consumer stuff, right? Like there's sort of like uh, uh, you want to make sure that like, I don't know, I guess Consumer Reports is still around, but you want to make sure that Consumer Reports and like the wire cutter know about your USB charging cables, <laughs> right? Like, like, and obviously in enterprise software, it's different, but you, at the very least, they should know you exist, uh, which my example is more of a PR function, right. but a similar thing would exist for analysts, right? So you might have an analyst covering, uh, I don't know, CRM software, and and you want to just make sure that they know that you, a CRM person, uh, a company exists. And then and then you know, I think I think as you're talking about, there's like the uh, the uh, medium and longer term thing, and also um, I don't know, grander thing of like like the way I would rephrase a lot of what you said is like. Uh, here is our framing for reality, <laughs> like the yeah. reality of how this market exists, how things are evolving, what users need. And of course, our framing for how awesome we are. 
Um, and you know, what, what sprung to mind as you were talking about that was like, there was a, there was a point for, for two things that are good examples of this, where like you had to spend a lot of time with everyone, but especially with analysts saying that like open source is a thing, right? Like it's, it's going to be a big deal and you should, you should be covering it and you should feel that it's okay. And all of that. And then the other one that was more recent is, and I remember sitting on the, um, uh, the vendor side of the table. And then I guess the analyst side as well, when this is on both sides of the table, there wasn't there's usually a phone involved, not a table, but whatever. Uh, when it came to like, basically what we now call public cloud at the time, it was just cloud, but there was a whole, there were many years spent uh, with analysts or vendors basically saying that like, Oh, public cloud will never be a thing. It's always going to be on premise. And so there was lots of, uh, sort of framing and contextualizing going around uh, both of those. But, yeah. but those seem like, uh, I, I mean, th those are, those are interesting to me examples of like how, how that framing goes. And then, you know, at our, at our, at the present time, we spent a lot of time just talking about, you know, what we would call like cloud native or containers or just a new way of doing software development and running things. And Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of effort is spent trying to influence people's view of it. <laughs> and, and then also, I mean, of course, obviously you're trying to influence it, but then there's the other side, uh, you know, which, which then I'll finally figure out some question marks in here, but like, there's the other side of like, so what, like, what's the part where you're consuming what analysts do when you're using them for input? What does that look like? That's great. That's actually really fun, I think. Um, and it's, 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 it's part of deepening the relationship. Um, so there's, you have to believe that analysts are talking to your customers. They are. I mean, I know that for a fact, right? You know, most of our customers are also subscribed to, you know, you know, at least one of the, one of the two big uh, industry firms. Um, I know this because I get questions from our salespeople saying, what does so-and-so think about us or this customer or this prospect really believes everything this firm says, what's their stance, right? right. So, um, and our customers ask them questions or say things to them that they don't necessarily ask us. In general, there are exceptions, of course. Um, I like to think that our customers are particularly advanced and oftentimes uh, don't need as much of that handholding or are pretty transparent with us. We have very good relationships. But so um, they hear what's, what's being asked. Um, they get, they, they have a pulse on um, particularly, again, large enterprises, right, where they're thinking of going, um, what their challenges might be. So it's useful for us to be able to do inquiries with them or, you know, full-on advisory days where we ask them about what kinds of inquiries they're getting from end users, what's driving those inquiries, what are their challenges or fears or um, what are, what's, what's, What's driving their purchasing decisions? You know, what are what, what's the pressure that they're under? To, what are they trying to achieve? Um, and then you get kind of get some insight, or you validate what you already believe, right? Sometimes it's just a matter of okay, that's what we thought. We just wanted to hear it from you. And then you can also ask them, well, how do you recommend they solve this challenge? So then you can also get a sense of where the analysts think the market's going, or what what are the best solutions for solving the problems that they're being asked about, or whatever. So um, I find that very, very useful. It's also great for competitive intelligence. You know, they can't mm, tell you anything right. that's not public. They can't, they can't tell you anything that's not public. Uh, they're under, uh, under NDA with most of their clients, end users, and the, their vendor clients. 
but you can get a good, you know, get a sense of from there, what they're observing, you know, where your competitors may be going or what your competitors' strengths or weaknesses might be. And how do you use that to uh, inform your own strategy and your own competitive positioning? So, so they're sort of like, they're sort of like, uh, I don't know what you would call them. Like there's, there needs to be a better phrase than second hand, but they're aggregators of a bunch of what's going on with buyers and, and what, what their questions are and complaints and problems. So they're sort of like, uh, you know, meat surveys walking around and then they have all their own survey data that, that you can go and use, but they give you basically as yeah. th- this to me is always like the, well, not exactly. It's part of what the uh, sort of strict definition of an industry analyst is, is to like know what the buyers in a market are doing and, and what they're up to. And then of course, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, tell me what you think of this, but I always think it's kind of weird in our market in te- the tech world that the, in the industry analysts, I don't, think are so much known for covering like vendor sports like they're I don't know maybe it's just the ones I talk to but I feel like I feel like if there was an industry analyst in like I don't know cardboard or oil Mm -hmm. like they 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 would talk a lot more about like what the various companies how they were competing with each other and what they were doing with each other and kind of talking with financial people or whoever whereas the industry, the tech industry analysts that come around, they definitely know what vendors are up to, but it sort of doesn't really seem like, it seems like more they're trying to serve buyers of that technology than whatever the cardboard industry analysts are doing. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's what makes them valuable. Uh, if any of the big, the top two firms, I, I, there's two to me that matter, right? Um, in, in the enterprise world, and then you have other folks that, that matter for different reasons. But if it, their, their value is really because they have um, all those end user right. uh, clients. If they didn't have those end user clients, they would not um, be able to do what they do. <laughs> and yeah, they wouldn't yeah. be valuable to people like us, right? Yeah. So uh, absolutely, you're right. And, you know, they are very, very they hold those relationships uh, really closely and in high regard. Um, I know they're very protective of, of those relationships with the end user organizations. Yeah. So, yeah. What is, 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 uh, is the right word? Uh, not what's the word there, there is always like, there's a bunch of secretiveness around all that. <laughs> like I've noticed that, that back, you know, back when I was an analyst and, and, you know, I worked with analysts that they're, they're always, uh, Man, it's not serendipitous. They're they're serendipitous. Whatever. There's certain like they they're not happy to connect you with people. <laughs> at least at least in general. No, you know what? Except for there are yeah. In general, they correct. That's true. You know that's what their events are for. But how you know then they need to sell their events, right? Because like mm. uh, you know, Garner has tons and tons of events, and those are all about connecting you with purchase decision makers. And I will tell you, those are great events. You know, yeah. the, the Gartner events. I know I can't believe I'm plugging the Gartner events, but you know, as a vendor, when you go there, the the level of you know, first of all, the companies they're represented. If you are an enterprise, uh, com- if you're a company that's selling to the enterprise, and and on top of that, you know, Fortune 5000 or 2000, you know, your your customer base is at these events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then the people that attend there, you know, have uh, are involved in purchasing decisions. So, yeah. Um, 
that's that's where you connect. That's where they can even even then, you know, they are they don't give you the names of the end users that are attending, just the companies. Yeah, so you have to have them like walk up to you and things like that. But yeah, yeah, I re- I remember some AADI I was at the uh, the Gartner um, like basically application development conference, and um, you know, there's a lot of people who came up, but what stood out in my mind <clears throat> was uh, someone who did IT for one of the uh, Oklahoma Native American nations came to talk to me. <laughs> and I was thinking like, wow, there's not that many conferences I would go to where like the head of IT yeah. for for the, <laughs> for something like that would come there. But, you know, and, yeah. and then it was also all the other people who came up were, were equally broad and uh, hard to access, uh, it, it seemed like, which, which is, uh, yeah, it, it does make an interesting source. So then you were also hitting on something I wanted to ask, which is... Um, and and tell me if this speaking of framing, if this framing is wrong, but it seems like there's at least two types of categories of, of analysts that you you uh, you would work with or relate with, as it were. And one of them is, as you've kind of talked about, there's sort of like uh, you either work, you know, you, you you're going to work with like Gartner Forrester uh, and, and maybe IDC. And within those, you have like practice areas, like the the group that works on like agile or the group that works on like, um, I don't know, CRM systems. And, and in, and in those practices, like, at least as far as I can tell, they like focus on just that thing for, for the most part. Um, so that's one category that you have. And then, and then, so how would you like contrast working with a practice, so to speak with, there's a, this whole other category, which is just like, individuals and they they sort of have things they specialize in but they're more like i don't know generalist to some extent but they they don't they don't follow just one category of things and so is Mm -hmm. are are working with those two different types different or how does that uh how does that drive the tactics of what you do in ar yeah so basically what you're talking about is more like the talking head analysts yeah yeah or or i think sometimes quoted in the press yeah, yeah. And and I mean to be explicit, right? Like so uh like at Red Monk, it was very like there are there were some specializations, but it was very like general, right? Like we would sort right. of uh talk about whatever you wanted <laughs> in mm-hmm. in 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 a good way, usually. Um versus like when I was at uh you know, when I was at four five one, I was I headed up the infrastructure software team, which was broad, but there were people on that team who like just covered monitoring. And then similarly uh, like we were talking, uh, you know, one one of our uh, co-favorite analysts, or at least myself, is this guy uh, Jeffrey Hammond at Forrester. And for a long time, he just co- uh, covered software development. But every now and then, I mean, that is kind of countered in my example. He would every he would also talk about open source, and now he does like higher level CIO stuff. But you know, generally, you can be like this analyst is part of this practice, therefore they cover that thing, versus like. Like, um, I don't know, these other analysts, as you say, are sort of uh, very, very broad talking heads and can kind of speak mm-hmm. on all sorts of topics. Mm-hmm. So are you so you're asking, let me make sure I get the question right. How do you how do you yeah, how do you with deal them with them? Yeah. What, how do you deal with them differently? And, and then and then also like an, a, another question is like, like, I don't think in the big firms they have those generalists <laughs> very much. Uh, and so I imagine you have they to go do and elsewhere. They don't, right? Yeah. You know, at some point you become a fellow or whatever, and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> right? yeah, you can write yeah. about whatever you want. You're generally tied to a specific team, like, you know, for example, the application infrastructure 
an architecture side, right, which would be middleware mm-hmm. or um, <clears throat> whatnot. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think at some point in your career, just like you know, you when you become an editor at large, right, you could write about. I remember when someone told me that means they can write about whatever the f they want to write about. So I right. think they at some point you reach a status uh, at the firm that you're at where you're like, oh yeah, that's so that's. That's so and so. They can they can write about whatever they want, and they end up doing a lot. I mean, they don't. I, don't, I think they don't end up writing as much research, but they do a lot more talks and they do yeah. advisories, and they have the kind of you know, a uh, little um, superstar kind of uh, halo around them. Yeah, but, they're um, they're always uh, palling around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, on one hand, it makes things easier when you know that this person covers this. You know, it can be restrictive, but you know that doesn't mean there isn't room for people to kind of expand. You know, for example. Um, at, uh, at one firm I'm working with, all of a sudden now the database analysts are trying to figure out containerization, right? So there is room for them to, to expand um, some of their knowledge and kind of look at uh, technology that w- and, and also collaborate with, with, with colleagues from other teams. You know, um, for example, again, like what's the impact of data uh, on data when you do things like microservices. So, you know, you pull an analyst from the microservices side who's covering microservices and someone covering data and you bring them together uh, to try and see where they're coming from. Um, and, so I will say that one of the things that I find not so much frustrating, but that I've observed when they are so siloed is they're coming at things from such different perspectives. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to use us as an example, like what we're, what we were doing. So, you know, for our, our, uh, our value proposition, there's two groups that um, can benefit from kind of stuff that Pivotal does, the operations side and the app dev side. And those two groups, I mean, I know DevOps is really, the whole concept of DevOps is to bring these teams together and have them understand each other and work better together, of course. But um, sometimes when you talk to an analyst that's covering infrastructure and operations, you will get a very different answer to a simple question, like, you know, how do you, Consider container, you know, cons- consider containers for a microservices architecture. We're going to get a very different answer from somebody coming in from the ops side versus somebody coming from the app dev side. Mm, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and, and, and then, that can be a bit disconcerting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it makes sense, right? Because they're talking to a completely different audience. But it makes it difficult in that you know if you're trying to get the a firm or some, the analyst to tell a cohesive. Um, to articulate your value proposition in a way that makes sense. Like it's when it, you're getting two different perspectives that may not gel. Right. So I, the other thing is like the perspective may be different, but if they, they don't like, they don't gel with each other, that's where there's problems. Right. And sometimes that's the case, not always, but sometimes that's the case. That, that is, that is an interesting to use a word that's very popular nowadays when there's some sort of uh inner Nicene feuding going on. I don't know if that's redundant, but there's sort of like mm-hmm. various groups, uh, well, I guess it's most interesting when they're sort of actively feuding with each other <laughs> in, inside one analyst area. And like, what, uh, like, what do you do? And that's the case. Like, how do you manage? Well, manage is the wrong word, but how do you sort of uh, do your AR work when there's sort of like within the same analyst shop, there's, there's at least two feuding factions that are sort of battling for, mm-hmm. for their framing of the world. Right. Well, I mean, there's a couple of different things. You know, you can try and get them all in one room together and just get your popcorn and watch, you know, <laughs> or hope that you can get them to influence each other, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, at least in, in the positive direction. 
um, you know, and, and in one case, this happened recently. I just said, hey, you need to talk to so-and-so because her perspective was much different than yours. So, um, I, you know, maybe they learn from each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's that's what you hope for. Yeah. To yeah. get them to learn from each other. So, yeah. Um, no, I, I think, I think, I think oh, over, over my career, I've had, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's always, it's always a little bit of weird cognitive dissonance where like in the morning, you know, you have some meetings with uh, some one set of analysts and, and they, you talk to them about whatever your topic is. And then afterwards you have a meeting with another set of analysts and they're totally different <laughs> from the same firm yeah. or, or, you know, yes. one, one of them might really believe in whatever you're talking about, right? Like we'll use an old example, like, oh, open source is, well, actually I remember something from uh, back at one of my Dell days where we, one of the last things I did is we went on this big analyst tour and I remember we were uh, over there at Forrester headquarters, the brand new one with all the, uh, the, the guitars in the, the lobby. And uh, we got given a uh, uh, an Allman Brothers CD as a parting gift, which was <laughs> lovely. Uh, you know, it, it was nice. It was it was it was in in a, a good way cute. It was like, oh, look at this little affectation that they got going on here. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I remember we had like a room of. I mean, it was Dell, so they would just bring out all the analysts. But I think it was like six or seven analysts, and uh, me and the other person were there. It was like a two hour meeting, and I think. I think maybe at least 45 minutes of it was just the analysts feuding about if public cloud was going to take over or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was just me and the, there was, there was an AR person there and then the other Dell person. And, and at some point the three of us were just like, well, uh, let's just see what we got popcorn. Like you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And so that's the thing is, you know, it's funny because I've talked to analysts about this and some of them will say, Oh no, it's so much more fun when you can get to watch us argue about it. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> yes and no, you know, yeah, that can be interesting. Cause then you can kind of figure out what angle to play with who, right. You know, I mean, it can definitely be uh, to observe that it's definitely interesting. Right. Cause then you know where, you, where you might stand, or um, not to sound manipulative, but like where the weaknesses are, you know, where you might be able to play these off to figure out how to how to move the needle or influence one or the other, right? You know what I mean? Like it can be valuable for sure. Yeah. Um, but when you're there, right, and you're trying to look, especially if you're doing an advisor day or something, and you're wanting to get some valuable insight. I mean, again, I guess that is valuable insight because if you see how they might be arguing with each other, maybe that gives you insight on how it looks like at your organ, you know, the yeah, your, yeah. And, and, and I think I think in that example, very accurately at the time, I mean, this must have been uh, 2011 or 2010 or something like it, it was a very open debate about how successful public cloud was going to be and like how how enterprise buyers would want it or not want it. And like it, it was it was extremely unsettled uh, and unsettling, I guess. And so it was uh, I don't know. I thought it was pretty yep. representative of what was going on in, in the space. And, and then also. I mean, also representative was the, uh, there were only a few of them who were, I mean, you could tell there was the kind of, uh, it was the kind of like, uh, they were, they were arguing very strongly. And then afterwards they would, you know, be friends with each other sort of thing. But, uh, there were a couple that they were very, uh, they were very passionate about like, (laughs) I don't, I don't think they exactly said you're an idiot, but they more or less would say that. (laughs) Like, 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 wrong. Yeah. Yeah. In, in that very, uh, in that very polite way where you're not saying someone's an idiot, you're just saying that your position is so overwhelmingly right that you would be unwise to disagree with it. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. No, but you know, 
back to the point of like what can be valuable from seeing that just kind of discord is is yeah it, it does reflect i mean again a very recent case where i was talking to somebody from like the talked to ops people versus somebody who talked to app dev teams mm. and it reflected to me what i i hear us talking about is a general industry trend right you know not just or even among our potential customers and prospects and existing customers, the conversations we, you know, the conversations we have with them, what their challenges are is like, how do you, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I often see that like what reflecting from, from somebody like a Gartner, like, Oh yeah, yeah. We totally see that as well among our customers, mm. but what are you going to do about it? Right. You analysts have to help our customers figure it out. And if you guys can't figure it out, <laughs> how are you going to help yeah, them yeah. figure it out? Yeah. You know, that's the thing that I think about is, you know, uh, as a, as a, as an analyst, uh, just reflecting back to your customers, what they're telling you to me is not valuable. And that's something that I think, um, is something that analysts have to work on. Uh, not all of them, but that's, I would imagine that's, that's the, that's the line they straddle, you know, like how yeah. much of like the, there's the empathy angle. Right. And the, but here's, here's where giving them actual advice, hard to, hard to follow advice. Like your, your approach is wrong and here's how you do it. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, there, if there's any, be reflecting that. If, there, if there's any group that follows the, uh, the challenge challenger sales model, it's, it's, uh, it's analysts. They're, they're often, uh, you know, and, and I always feel like, um, it takes it takes a sophisticated consumer of of analyst work to value being told, "Yep, that all looks good," <laughs> like like because you you feel like you're not getting your right. money's worth if all they're telling you is that things looks good or they're being lazy. But in fact, you know, getting that kind of validation would would certainly be valuable. So it is often there's sort of um, almost a uh, uh, a buyer induced syndrome where if you don't sort of like spend a lot of time disagreeing or talking about alternatives it doesn't necessarily seem like you're getting value but oftentimes that's that's what you want to get from from an analyst so i, I have one more analyst relations question then we'll we'll go we'll close out with a little uh, question buffet sure. at the end so there's always a lot of talk i mean i've given okay. these talks before because they're really easy about like uh you know how to deal with analyst advice for vendors and and startups i always think startups in particular need a lot of this advice but to to do it the other way like like what What's some advice you would give people like internally for like, how do you plan out what you're going to do with analysts? Like if someone's kind of new to it and they've never dealt with analysts before and you're going to like help start their program up, like what are the, what are the things you try to tell them about, about what the, the sort of tactics are going to be like and the meetings and the briefings, like what, what are just a little sampling of some of the, uh, I don't know, like what are the one or two top things you would try to convince people of that if you want to be successful right. at analyst relations, here's, here's something new that you may not have considered that you need to do. So the number one thing, and it's the overarching, like my overarching philosophy is you have to think about this as a dialogue. It's a continuous dialogue. It's not just us mm. briefing them every month or six weeks and then expecting something to come out the other end. That's when, when you were asking about how do you get information from them, inquiry is important, advisory is important. And, you know, even, you know, going out and having a beer with somebody and being human with them is important. So I always tell people when I, when I came, came in is you're in this for the long haul. <laughs> it can't be. Don't think that you're just going to brief this analyst a few times and they're going to be going out, you know, uh, espousing your value proposition and telling everybody they should buy your product. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they're also paid to be to be to be skeptical. Right. So they can't just take your word for it. The second most important thing is customer references. That is. And that's 
it's difficult, but it's the most valuable thing you can you can do for your program is have a good um, good bench of uh, customer references to speak with the analysts because, and I've said this um, multiple times, uh, and I say it a lot. You can brief an analyst every month for a year and not have change anything. You know, have them talk to two or three customers, and that will make a huge difference, right? They have to listen because then they have the practical. They don't just they 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 can say we didn't just take their word for it. Their customers are telling us this, right? right? So. Um, and as an end user, I mean, like peer, peer insight is what people want more than anything. And I can't, you know, that's as an end user, you want to hear, you want to know what other people's experiences are uh, and how, how valuable your product was, right? Like if you're you know, thinking about buying a car, you know, you look at consumer reports or you ask your friends or whatever, you know, it's, it's, and I think there are, you know, I think Forrester does these surveys of like, how do people make their purchasing decisions and you know, insight from peers is probably number one, if not number two. Mm. All right. Um, no, that's, so, that's, that's good. And, and it also, it also like, that's a good way of putting it. Cause it leads to another thing that like, uh, I always find valuable, which is if you're having a dialogue, it's probably good to have it with the same person <laughs> over time. Right. And so I, yeah. I, I always thought as an analyst, when, when I would, uh, you know, have an annual or, or, you know, every, every, uh, you know, twice a year or whatever, a briefing with a company, if there was like someone brand new I'd never spoken to, that was always a little bit of a troubling sign. Not to mention sort of like confusing <laughs> to kind yes. of discuss. And there's it. something to be said for rapport, right? Building a yeah, rapport yeah. with an analyst and your and the spokespeople, you know? That's right. All right. Well, here's 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 our, our question buffet, then we'll, then we'll wrap up. This is the new phrase I'm thinking of this, question buffet. And uh, so, so, you know, just, you can, you can take as short or as long as you want to answer and then just not answer as well to, to steal from the, the Tyler Cohen podcast. And then, uh, then we'll wrap up. So every time uh, I hang out with you, you have some sort of like new, like alcoholic drink that you're into. So what is it at the moment? What, what would you go if you had your uh, $75 per diem or even better, you had an analyst with you and you could file your expense as business meal? What what is the drink that you would get? Oh gosh, it depends on the quality of the of the booze at the bar. But let's let's <laughs> let's say you you've selected a good bar, that. right? That has a good reputation. Right. You're not just like at the Sheraton bar or you know mm-hmm. the the Aloft bar or something. But like, what what are you going to go for? Gosh, uh, I usually go for if it's summertime for something with gin in it, right? And I usually like to have uh, not I don't like to have juice in my cocktails. I like it better when they're usually all alcohol. So, you know, martini is the most basic, but something like um, a Vesper, right, which is also, I believe, gin paste, or a Corpse Reviver, which is gin. There's a little bit of uh, uh, lemon in there mm. or citrus juice. Um, so, um, and I think it has, does Corpse Reviver have absinthe in it as well? I think it might. Um, so that's a good one. So uh, I tend to go like, okay, I want a drink that's all alcohol. <laughs> no, no juice. Um, I... I also sometimes like to experiment with new alcohols, right? So I don't have a lot of experience with, for example, um, mezcal. So anytime there's some nice mezcal looking drinks on a mm. menu, I'll try that. And even rum. Rum is also another alcohol that I haven't done a lot of a, a lot with, but I think it's underrated. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. I, yeah. I, I I see rum all the time, and I think like that 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 shit's lonely rum. It needs to get. It needs to break out of the, uh, you know, like right? trop- tropical drink thing. And there, there must be something exactly. going on. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. I totally agree. There's also, you know, what's another one that's a really good one? Um, is it called an Applejack? I think so. I think it has like a, Applejack actually is the, is the, oh, Jack Rose. That's what it is, which I think is a, is a cocktail made with um, apple brandy. Mm. Right. And that's mm. quite delicious. Mm. So, um, so I think, you know, I usually start and look and see, okay, what, 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 what rides do you have that are high end that I haven't tried? What gins might you have that I haven't tried that, that are high end? So you, you, you um, want, you, I, and, and this bears out, you want sort of like the, uh, the boutique exotics, the wrong word, but you know, something new yeah. and different. All right. So that, so then I think there'll be time for like two more things. The other, next one. So okay. I've noticed this recently with analysts and, uh, just in general, so what's your take on like, usually, you know, in, unless you're some sort of like super uh, photographic memory, you might want to take notes and people. So what's your take on using sort of like just paper to take notes, pen and paper versus like, what if you're one of these people who's got like an iPad and like an, an Apple pencil and you're like taking notes on your iPad, which, which one do you like or not like, or do you care? Um, I, you know, it's funny. I go back and forth between taking handwritten notes. And of course, every time I do handwritten notes, I feel like I absorb better when I handwrite stuff, but then I can't read my handwriting afterwards. And so I get <laughs> frustrated with myself. Like, what does that say? I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, to your point, like, unless I have a photographic memory, I was like, oh, that's when they said such and such. Um, there's also, uh, tools, you know, AR tools, like there's a, like a, it's almost like CRM management for analysts relations. Mm. And in there, you know, you can put in like an, you know, I had this interaction with analysts and some, if you just have that open during the call, you can just type in your notes. So oh, yeah. I try and do that sometimes as well. But, but how, how about but like I, the, uh, the face-to-face meetings? Like are, are, are you put off when analysts like bust open their laptop and start taking notes or like what, what's, what's the decorum I'm for that? I'm used to it by now. Yeah. I'm used to it by now. You know, uh, there are some that take, there are some analysts that take handwritten notes and there's some that will do. Like if you're sitting in an all day meeting, they're usually taking notes on their laptop and I've, I've gotten used to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So la- last question, then we'll wrap up. So if, if, uh, if you had to choose and cause I've been to both of these places many times, I'm sure, are you going to choose Orlando or Las Vegas for, for a, a, a business conference? Dude. Oh no. It's funny. Cause I just went to my very first conference in Orlando last October. Really? That's the first I'm time you've say- been there for, for a business right. thing. Huh? Yes, it was. I had never been. It was for the Gardner Symposium event, and it was all in self-enclosed, right? But the same thing in Vegas. Uh, it was, and because it was at Disneyland, everything was spread out. I did not enjoy mm. that experience, to be perfectly honest. So yeah. I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's going to be Vegas because at least I'm familiar <laughs> with Vegas. I've been to a lot of conferences in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've that... been to Caesars like six times because you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that definitely. I I think for the same reasons, Las Vegas would be my choice. I think I think the. Uh, I think I think logistically, it's like the best city for a conference. Now, that's all it really has going for it. Like, there's not there's really nothing else, but it's like it takes like eight minutes right. to to and from the airport. Like everything you want is is there. Like you don't have to go very far. Everything yeah. you want, as far as staying alive, is there. But uh, yeah, it ha- it has no character. Yep. And, and but what are you gonna do? And I'm on the West Coast, right? So like, it's a short flight mm. to Vegas for me, and it's also you know there's like a flight every hour That's right. <laughs> from my local airport to Vegas, so a lot easier. It's much more difficult to get to Orlando. So That's right. for pure logistical reasons, let's take aesthetics out. You know, it would be Vegas. So so uh, if people are interested in uh, you know seeing seeing what else you're up to in a very non creepy way, seeing what you're going doing around on the internet, what would you point them at? Um, I'm Rita M on Twitter. 
which tells you I was on Twitter early, early. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so Rita M on Twitter is a great way uh, to get uh, to check check out some of my my opinions and thoughts. And sometimes I rant, and sometimes I will post random things. But um, that's yeah. probably the best place. Yeah, to there's there's good there's good analyst stuff in there every now and then. A little extra chain mm-hmm. there. Well, great. Well, uh, well, thanks for being on. This is good. We, it's it's always fun well, to sure. uh, talk about this topic. And so, as always, yeah, of course, as always, this has been software defined interviews. Uh, you know, I'm terrible at remembering what number the, the episodes are. But if you go to uh, softwaredefinedinterviews.com, you can easily find uh, the show notes that we have. And in fact, this is episode 68. So if you go to softwaredefinedinterviews.com slash 68, you can find the show notes and I'll uh, I'll link to a few things there. And then, you know, you can also find a link where to buy our Software Defined Talk t-shirts for 20% off and my, sadly, every two or three weeks newsletter that we send out and all the other great podcasts that we have. And every now and then Rita shows up on uh, Pivotal Conversations to talk more specifically about what uh, what's going on in the analyst world uh, that Pivotal cares about in application development and containers and stuff like that. So with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thanks. Bye.